Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to our Sunday morning service, and this is the first uh, service for uh, the new year, and so we want to welcome each of you. If today is your first day uh, visiting with us, we hope that you feel warmly welcomed, and uh, if it's the first time in a long time, we hope you feel warmly welcomed back, and I want to mention that we are having the Lord's table uh, in the morning service, so if you are planning to partake and you uh, want to do that, please make sure that you pick up your elements during the first hymn. And uh, we have a couple of announcements, then we'll open up with our opening scripture reading. Good morning. A, f- a few things going on today and this week. Um, first thing this morning, there is a nursery workers meeting. That'll be over here on the piano side. Um, so it'll be following the morning service. And then tonight, we're restarting the choir. So tonight at 5 o'clock, the choir is restarting. Tuesday, we have the Baltimore Rescue Mission, so if you're interested in having to go, um, we meet here at the church. We take some church vans over at 6.30. This Friday, we'll have a teen activity. They have donut wars. Um, yeah, I'm not knowing what's going on with that. Uh, and then Saturday, there is a Ladies SOS. Uh, Miss Deanna, is there a sign-up for that? Okay, yes. So there is a sign-up on the church bulletin for the Ladies SOS brunch this uh, coming Saturday. Uh, next Thursday, there's a sign-up for the senior luncheon. And then there's also, next a uh, couple weeks from now, uh, men's prayer breakfast and visitation. Sign up for both of those on the church bulletin. Pastor Josh. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Psalm 35, and we will start with verse 1. Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler, and stand up for mine help. Draw out also the spear, and stop the way against them that persecute me. And say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. And let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. And let them be turned back and brought to confusion that defies my hurt. Let them be as a chaff before the wind. And let the angel of the Lord chase them. And let their way be dark and slippery. And let the angel of the Lord persecute them. For without cause... They have hid for me their net in a pit, which without cause they have digged for my soul. Lest destruction come upon him at unawares, and let his net that he hath hid catch himself. Into the very destruction let him fall. And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like unto thee, which delivers the poor from him that is too strong for him, yea, the poor and the needy from him that spoileth him. Our theme for worship today, let's focus on the need to run to Christ in trouble. It's a very interesting psalm we'll be looking at this morning and this evening, and I think it'll be very helpful as we reflect on the reason that Christ came and died and the significance of the cross. And so please let's bow together for a word of prayer, ask the Lord to bless our service and help us to understand uh, the very rich truths that are connected to this psalm, Psalm 35. 
Father, as we enter into the new year, we want to pause and we want to rejoice in you. We recognize that you are a God who cares. And we're thankful that you have given us the breath of life. We're thankful that you sustain our lives. We thank you for the strength that you give us day by day, the provision that we enjoy at your good hand. We thank you for the protection that you encompass us with. Yet we also recognize that sometimes you allow us to experience leanness and hardship. Sometimes you allow people to to do evil in the world and we are the recipients of that focus and it hurts, very painful, very frustrating. And I pray this morning as we open up this text of scripture and as we look at the heart of the psalmist and how he pours out his heart to you, that you'd help us to see how we as Christians with a godly worldview, understanding that you are sovereign and you rule over the nations, how we should come into your presence when we find ourselves in similar places. And I pray that as we reflect on your love for us and your mercy and your compassions, I pray that we would rejoice in the cross and the weight of what was accomplished so that we could be redeemed to you. So we ask for your rich blessing on this time and we ask all this in Christ's name, amen. Good morning, Anchor Baptist Church. Members present, guests, thank you for joining us. Ah, my, how time flies. It just seems like I haven't seen you for a year. Oh, there's more dad jokes coming. Come on now. Anyway, yeah, I've got a whole new year of dad jokes coming up, so uh, be prepared. But before we get to any more, let's all stand, start our services off with joyful song. Turn to page five in your hymnal or follow us on the screen. All five verses of Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. And the hymnal, page 177. I think y'all are a little rusty beginning the new year. You can do better than that. Our great Savior, page 177, all five. 
Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. All right, that sounded better. You're getting warmed up, I believe. Page 355. Page 355. Jesus paid it all, all four verses. singing. This time we'll go back to the scriptures. Still in Psalm 35. We'll read, read verses 11 through 18. Psalm 35 verses 11 through 18. Picking up where Pastor Josh left off. False witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into my own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. But in mine adversity they rejoiced and gathered themselves together, yea, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. 
they did tear me and ceased not. With hypocritical mockers and feasts, they gnashed upon me with their teeth. Lord, how long wilt thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darlings from the lions. I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. May the Lord bless the reading of his word.
Well, amen. From that medley, I think I got, I must tell Jesus, I need thee every hour and abide in me. Was that all three? Oh, man. Took me a minute to get abide in me, though. I wasn't, the tune was coming, but the words weren't. Amen. Jesus, I must tell Jesus, the one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's uh, turn our page in our hymnal, or if not, look up on the screen, page 495, page 495. Count your blessings. All right, you're going to have to stand on this because on the second verse, on the second verse, turn around and fist bump, elbow bump somebody or say hi. Happy New Year on the second verse, okay? Count your blessings. as we go to our blue book well I've got you up and going your blood's really racing right now the blood pressure's feeling good 
page 151 in the blue book, I run to Christ. And on the last verse, we'll do it a cappella.
Okay, well, our children who are in junior church uh, can be dismissed with their parents to take them to the back. And the rest of you, I'd like to encourage you to take your Bibles out and let's turn to the 35th Psalm. That is Psalm 35. And I know it's a lengthy psalm. And so as I was working my way through this passage of Scripture, I've decided to divide it into two parts. So you're listening to part one this morning and then part two tonight. And it's an interesting psalm because it's one of several psalms that are called imprecatory psalms. And someone might say, well, what in the world is an imprecatory psalm? Well, as we read it, you will understand uh, what it is. It is one of the softer of the imprecatory psalms. And um, quite honestly, a lot of pastors would not address this passage of Scripture because it is a difficult concept for us to think through. But I think as we read through the text and as we look at it in its context and we consider all that is involved here, I think what we're going to see is that there's some extremely important truths that need to be laid before us this morning. And as we think about these truths, we're going to think about them in the light of the cross because there are some things that we will find in these verses that are going to point us to the cross. So Psalm 35, we'll begin in verse number 1. Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for my help. Draw out also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. Let them be as chaff before the wind and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery and let the angel of the Lord persecute them. For, this next statement is very important. Without cause have they hid for me their net in a pit. Which without cause they have digged for my soul. Let destruction come upon him at unawares. Let his net that he hath hid catch himself. Into the very destruction let him fall. And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like unto thee, which deliverest the poor from him that is too strong for him? Yea, the poor and the needy from him that spoileth him. False witnesses did rise up and they laid to my charge things that I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. As for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting and my prayer returned into my own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. But in my adversity... They rejoiced and gathered themselves together. Yea, the objects gathered themselves together against me. I knew it not. They did tear me and ceased not. With hypocritical mockers and feasts, they gnashed upon me with their teeth. Lord, how long wilt thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destruction. My darling from the lions. I'll give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. Let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me. Neither let them wink with eye that hate me without a cause. They speak not peace. 
They devise deceitful, deceitful words against them that are quiet in the land. They opened their mouth wide against me and said, Aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. This thou hast seen, O Lord. Keep not silence. O Lord, be not far from me. Stir up thyself and awake to my judgment, even unto my cause. My God and my Lord, judge me, O Lord, my God, according to thy righteousness. Let them not rejoice over me. Let them say in their heart, let them not say in their heart, Ah, so would we have it. Let them not say, we have swallowed him up. Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion together that rejoice at mine hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. Let them shout, let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servants, and my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. It's a very interesting psalm, isn't it? It's a psalm that is full of darkness. It's a psalm that's very heavy. But let's be really frank about it. Sometimes there are people that love the Lord Jesus with all their heart that are in the exact same place that this man was. And the question is, how should we deal with those kinds of things? How does someone with a biblical worldview process the kinds of things that David has described in these verses? Let's bow our hearts and ask the Lord to help us to understand that. Father, as we expound this psalm, as we dig into its content and we consider the things that are stated, I pray that our hearts would recognize what an appropriate response is to the kind of affliction that David describes in these verses. We recognize the Christian life is a wonderful life. It's a life that is full of richness and purpose and tremendous delights and joy that are unspeakably great. Yet we also recognize that life in a fallen world, even as a believer, can be very harsh, can be very painful, can be very dark, and can be very vulnerable. And I pray that as we read these verses and we consider these truths, that we would understand the intent of the psalm before us. We ask that you would guide our thoughts and strengthen us as we look at the word. And we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Now, the first thing I want to do this, this morning is I'd like to kind of give you a summation of what I think Psalm 35 is all about. Psalm 35 is a very transparent look into the prayer life of a believer who has been experiencing the painful effects of injustice. And this is very specific. At the hand of a close associate and how this believer processed this pain in a godly way. There are times that people, uh, we might use the term, are stabbed in the back by a friend or by someone who is very close to them. In fact, somebody who we have really confided in, someone who we've been very close to as someone that probably could exploit that closeness to us more than anybody else. We think about what happens between maybe a parent and a child, or between spouses, or between brothers or sisters, or family members, someone who we have worked in partnership. There are some people that, because of the trust that we have given them, and because of the relationship we've enjoyed, we allow our lives to become very closely intertwined, we, and I don't know if the word entangled is the right word, but by the end of the story, that's exactly what it is. They're entangled 
And a person in that position has the potential to do us tremendous good or also has the potential to do unspeakable harm and injury to us. And the simple fact is that this is something that many of us will experience in life. That's not a prophecy. That's just saying, if you live in a fallen world, there are people who are going to not just disappoint you and not just hurt you, but I might even use the word exploit the closeness and the opportunity that they have to be close to you. And the question is, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that kind of a hurt, that kind of an affliction? Well, as we look through these verses, we're going to see that the scriptures want us to draw near to God and to find ourselves just glorying in him because that might be all that we have in that moment. And so I want to start with looking at the painful experience of affliction and how the Bible speaks so transparently about that. When we talk about this thing called affliction, affliction is something that can come in lots of different, different ways. Sometimes it's a season of life. Sometimes it's financial leanness. Sometimes uh, it's, it's a disease or a sickness or an illness that we've had. Sometimes it's the loss of a job. Sometimes it's a turn of circumstances that are very difficult. But perhaps one of the most painful of all kinds of affliction is the one that is very personal because of who is the one who has caused it. And because of how long the duration of how long this contention or this difficulty arises. David is describing a situation. We don't know who it is or who these people are, but there is someone, and over the course of David's life, there were lots of people who could have very well fit into the context of this psalm. But this affliction was from the hands of a friend. And this affliction, as he describes, was from the hand of a friend who it says, when they were sick, verse 13, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting. Verse 14, I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or my brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. But in my adversity, they rejoiced. Do you understand what David is describing? He's describing very painful circumstances. Now let me give you some examples of how the Bible talks about adversity. In Job 5, 7, it says that man is born of trouble as sparks fly upward. Now we do a lot of wood burning during this time of the year. And then when we are doing that, I open up that thing and I put in a log and sometimes sparks come popping right back out because, because of that combustion that's going on. Or maybe you're sitting out at a campfire, you throw another log on there, and the sparks fly up. This is what happens when you do that. It's a natural consequence of what you're doing when you're sitting around that campfire. And he says the way trouble is. It just comes in life. It's a part of our human experience. In chapter 14, verse 1 of Job, he says, that man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He says, rather than our lives being long, they're short. And the difficulties we encounter, they're numerous. And why does Job mention that? It's because, well, he's in a very dark period of life. Well, not everything that Job experienced was harsh and difficult, but many things were. Ecclesiastes 9.12, it says, man also knoweth not his time. 
As the fishes that are taken in an evil net, as the bird that is caught in the snare, so are the sons of man snared in an evil time when it falleth suddenly upon them. Now over the course of our lives, when something very difficult is about to happen, sometimes we have no sense that that's about to happen. We have no idea that we're about to get a phone call. We have no idea that when we go to the doctor, they're going to say, I hate to tell you this, but this is what we discovered, and these are your options. We don't, we don't anticipate those kinds of things. Or a situation unfolding that we didn't foresee. Psalm 34, 17 says that the righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Sometimes when a person becomes a Christian, they say, well, I remember what it was like when I was not a Christian. And life was hard because I made all these bad choices and I didn't understand the consequences from the, the perspective of someone who's a believer. So now that I'm a Christian, I know all my troubles are going to go away. I'm not going to deal with those things anymore. It's like the little song that it sings that there's a cloudless morning or and now I'm happy all the day. And we think, well, the Christian experience is just going to be endless joy. Well, it will in eternity, but not necessarily on this side of eternity. And so in the psalm, we see statements like this. Verse 1, they strive with me. Verse 3, they persecute me. Verse 7, without cause, they hid from me. Their net in a pit. Verse 11, false witnesses laid to my charge things that I knew not. I didn't do those things. I wasn't aware of those things. They're accusing me of something that I'm completely unaware of because it didn't happen. Verse 12, they rewarded evil for good. They devised deceitful matters. Verse 26, they rejoiced at my hurt. You see, are there people like that? Of course there are. Lots of people like that. And when people have such a mindset, how are you supposed to respond to that? Well, this psalm is going to show us an appropriate response. You might say, whoa, whoa, whoa. It is? Yes, it is. And I want you to see it. But before we move to that, I want to ask this question. Why does God allow people to suffer? Well, it is a natural consequence of living in a fallen world. When, when God told Adam in the garden, don't eat the fruit of that tree... Because in the day you eat it, you will surely die. He, he meant it. It wasn't a joke. It wasn't an idle threat. There was a real life natural consequence for Adam's sin to eat the fruit. There are real life consequences for the sinful choices people make. When God says don't do that, he's not doing it because he's just this cosmic killjoy that wants our lives to be miserable and confined. I mean, he is telling us don't do that. Because as he orders the universe, that's bad for you. Don't do it. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt other people. So when God says that something is sinful, there's a reason for it. And there's a good reason behind him saying, don't do it. I also mentioned that God is not obligated to suspend the laws of nature and the laws of sowing and reaping just because it's making us uncomfortable. There are real life consequences for choices. There are real life consequences for sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing. You most certainly will reap as a result of the way you have sown in life. Sometimes God allows hardship and difficulty to sober us to our own mortality. 
an interesting conversation Jesus had with his disciples in Luke 13. It says there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. You go, whoa. They say, Jesus, why did God allow such a terrible thing? Jesus answering said unto them, suppose ye that these Galileans were Sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? He says, I tell you, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Jesus didn't say, well, let me explain to you all the reasons why that happened. He said, hey, this is supposed to sober you to your own mortality. Every one of us has a day that we're going to die. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. We don't know how long we have between now and then. But that mortality is a guarantee. And so God allows things sometimes to happen so that we wake up and we say, hey, one day that's going to be me. Am I ready for that day? He goes on to say, or of those 18 that were the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, thinking they were worse sinners above all men dwelt in Jerusalem. I tell you, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. What's Jesus saying? When you see bad things happen, it's your chance to be sobered by your own mortality. But there are some reasons that God allows affliction that unquestionably are to accomplish good. And I want to mention some this morning before we dig a little further into this psalm. One of the things he does is he humbles us. You think about it. If God never allowed you to experience hardships and never allowed you to experience disappointments and gave you everything that you wanted in life, and never resisted you in any way, and never allowed you to experience consequence, what kind of a person would you become? Well, you would be like the child that got Christmas gifts every day of their life until their parents realized they had destroyed their child. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 10 and 11 says that the Lord chastens us for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. He says, no chasing for, the, chasing for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Afterwards, it yieldeth the peaceable fruits of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So God allows us to experience difficulty because he wants us to grow and to mature and to be humbled. He uses these things to draw us into himself. In 2 Corinthians 1.5, it says that the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. Jeremiah 31 verses 1 through 3 say that the people which were left of sword found grace in the wilderness and the Lord hath appeared of old unto me saying, I've loved you with an everlasting love therewith with loving kindness have I drawn thee. What's it saying? He humbles us through difficulty. He draws us to himself through difficulty. He demonstrates the power of the gospel. You know, we say as Christians that we have the truth. And I believe without any doubt we have the truth. When I look at the various worldview possibilities, I say, this one rises above them all. It's true. It's true. Not just, it makes me feel good. It's the one that I want. It's true. That's the key. And so how does God demonstrate the truthfulness and the veracity of the powerful change that takes place in the life of a Christian. Well, 1 Peter 3. 
If ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason, good word, of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Another way to put it is, as a Christian, the way that we suffer should be different than the way that the world suffers. When our perspective is no different than a non-Christian's, we have a problem. When the way that we process difficulties is no different than a lost person that doesn't have a worldview that says, there's a God who loves me, he sent his son to die for me, I'm redeemed, he's working all things together for good, I love the Lord, he's growing me into Christ's likeness. When we suffer different than the world, something's wrong. And so he says, he uses it to demonstrate the power of the gospel. You see how the truth shapes a person. And an unsaved person who doesn't know the Lord as their Savior, doesn't have a biblical worldview, they watch the Christian suffer and they go, I don't have the ability to do that. I I don't process things that way. Why do you see it the way that you do? And you're able to share. That's the point. He uses it to strengthen us. He says, we glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Romans 5.3. He says, count it all joy, James 1, when you fall into diverse temptation, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work. You may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. He used it to build us. He used it to prepare us for glory. But I want to mention one more. I'm actually going to skip through some of these verses. It's to give us an appreciation for the sufferings of Christ. I don't know if you've thought about it this way. One of the reasons that we partake of the Lord's table is so that we remember his death until he comes. Okay? In other words, God says, I need you as a Christian to set aside time on a regular basis as a body to partake of these elements, to remember the blood shed and the body broken, and the implication of that, so that you could be redeemed to me, and so that you could be united as a body, you could be forgiven and cleansed, and stand before me as righteous in Christ. You've got to remind yourself of that over and over and over and over again. Why? Well, because we don't consider the sufferings of Christ. We don't consider the agonies of the cross. We don't consider the nature of the payment of that sacrifice. So, God has set aside a memorial to remember this over and over and over again. But you know, one of the things God also does is there are times when we suffer and he draws our attention to some truth and says, do you realize that what you're feeling gives you a small glimpse into the kind of suffering that Christ had so that you could be redeemed? He does that. You see, how does he do it? He does it through passages like this one. Listen to what it says in John 15, 25. He says, This cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Did you hear that when I was reading through Psalm 35? They hated me without a cause. And the scripture says in John 12, this is the fulfillment of that scripture written in the law. They hated me without a cause. Now, if somebody was watching what Jesus was experiencing and they considered the way that Jesus was treated 
And they considered the hatred, the animosity, and all those things that he willingly took upon himself. He stepped into this nasty world so that he could redeem our souls. That's what he did. One of the ways you and I appreciate it, as weird as this would sound, is when somebody does it to us. And all of a sudden, in our mind, it takes us somewhere and we say, and that's part of what he did for me. Not all of it. Not all of it. No, no, nobody got nailed to a cross in here. Nobody's experiencing that level of animosity and hatred. But we have a small glimpse of that kind of suffering. Matthew 26, 60. Though many false witnesses came. Well, that sounds like something we just read a few minutes ago. At the last, two false witnesses came and said, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. You know what David said? He says, these people have brought false accusations against me. They've lied about me. They were close to me. Didn't Judas do that to Jesus? How did Judas know where Jesus was? Well, it was that access that he had to him. That's how he knew. Matthew 27, 39. They that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, thou that destroyest the temple and build it in three days, save thyself if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Here's the point. One of the things that God does through suffering is he makes us appreciate what Jesus did to redeem us to himself. But here's the truth. Unless you're a Christian, that, that ain't going to make any sense to you. Not just unless you're, a, unless you're a Christian who's thinking Bible, it won't make any sense to you. But if you're a Christian who's in the word, there are going to be times that because of your life experience, there'll be a statement in the text that you just notice that you haven't noticed quite the same way before. And it's because of what you're living through. The second thing I want you to notice in this text is the structure of the psalm. It's broken into three sections. The sections have a petition, or should I say several petitions, laments, and praise. Now, I want to explain to you what a petition is, and what a lament is, and what praise are. Because... When we come to our evening service, I'm going to talk about how a Christian petitions God and how a Christian is to lament and how a Christian is to praise God and how all this works out in our life experience. But we need to understand what these words mean. The word petition means crying out to God for his intervention. It's me saying, God, I'm in trouble. This accusation is not true, but how do I defend myself from it? God, this enemy is vicious and I don't have the ability to protect myself. I can do the best that I can. But everything that I do, everything that I come up with, it falls short. I need you to come to my defense. God, I'm falling apart internally. And I feel like I can't stand up. I can't even hold my head up. I'm feeling this weight of burden in my soul. And I don't know how to deal with this. Please uplift me in this moment. That's what we mean by petition. Crying out to God. For his intervention. Have you ever been there before? If you've suffered, you have. You feel like it's not right for you to cry out to God in such a way? I think a lot of Christians do. They feel like they got to keep a stiff upper lip when they're talking to God. Only use those deep, rich theological terms. God doesn't care about your deep, rich theological terms. It says in Romans 8 that there are times that we don't even know how to express in words what we need. And the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Petition. Second word is the word lament. 
word lament is an interesting word because it has the idea of crying out to God, expressing the pain and the frustration of our situation. Now, this is not just somebody complaining because I didn't get a good shake on this situation right here. I mean, if you look at this text, it's clear that David believes that he has not done wrong to this person. He believes that his cause is righteous. He believes that he's been unjustly treated. We'd have to assume that David was right. There are situations that we contribute to problems. There are also situations that we're the main contributor to the problem. And there are situations where we are, we are unjustly treated. We did not contribute to the problem. The person has developed an animosity and it's, it's, it's an unjustifiable animosity. Or there are times that maybe there's an aspect of justifiability to what we're experiencing, but not to the level that they're bringing against us. And so lamenting is simply pouring out to God and saying, God, this is how I feel. This is what's in my heart. I feel so burdened. I feel like quitting. I feel like giving up. I feel like I have no purpose. These experiences are so painful. You say, is it right to tell God those things? Well, who are you going to tell them to? Who should you tell these kinds of things to? Well, we don't talk to God. We don't talk to anybody. We just bury it inside. Please come back tonight. We'll talk about that. That's a very dangerous thing to do. When you have this kind of pain internally and you just bury it down, it's going to affect you. It's not good. You need to talk to God about it. Lament. The word praise. A choice to uplift God's greatness and goodness despite our pain and the vulnerability of our temporary situation. What I'm dealing with here is really hard. But that's not the only piece of the story that I'm living through. There's more Inside this box, it's really bad. But the box doesn't encompass everything. And you know what we do? We're able to kind of step aside for just a moment and say, God, there's all kinds of stuff out here that I can praise you for. And some of that stuff is actually going to take what's in that box... And going to use it to accomplish something that's good. I can't see right now. Petition, lament, praise. All of those things we see in each of those sections. For instance, in verse 1, we see the petition. Plead my cause with them that strive against me. Fight against them that fight against me. Then we see the praise. Verses 9 and 10. My soul shall be joyful in the Lord. doesn't say in their demise. It's in, their, in the Lord. Rejoice in his salvation. This is a very positive thing. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like unto thee that deliverest the poor from him that is too strong for him? Amazing statements. We see the lament again in verse 11. False witnesses rose up and they laid to my charge things that I knew not. I didn't do these things. Verse 18. Praise, I give thanks in the great congregation. I praise thee among much people. Verse 19, the petition, let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me, neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause. Verse 28, my soul shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. Now, those are pieces of the psalm. If you were to divide it up into the thoughts, those are the three main pieces. And so the third thing I want you to notice is that we have to appreciate that there is a tension here. Not attention, it's a tension. <laughs> Two words, not one. A tension. You say, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is this David could not describe what's going on in his heart with just one kind of word. 
everything's great. No, it's not. Some of it's great and some of it's not. Everything's bad. He wouldn't say that either. There's a tension. There are these pieces that are both pulling at the same time and he's experiencing both of them. The Christian life is full of examples like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 15 to 18. He says, all things are for your sake, for which cause we faint not. Though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more and exceeding eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things that are seen, but the things which are not seen. Things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. You say, well, 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 which one is it? The answer is it's both. His outward man is perishing. His inward man is being renewed. Which one? They're both happening. He's working for us a far more and exceeding eternal weight of glory. He feels the pressure of the moment and he also feels the glory of the future. And he's feeling them both at the same time. We can be gripped by the greatness of God and how far off he is and how magnificent he is. At the same time, we have this warmth and affection because of how close he is to us. You say, well, which one is it? Well, it's, it's both. There's a closeness and there's a greatness. We're new creatures in Christ, but does anybody here struggle with sin? I do. We're to put off the old and to put on the new. We feel this tension between the two. Our flesh is continually lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. It says these two are contrary, the one against the other. We feel this tension. We feel those things that are going on. I am a forgiven person. Yet I should come to God and express when I've sinned and be reminded again of the cross. 1 John 1, 9. I can suffer immense hardship and weakness, yet experience strength and joy at the same time. These are tensions that we experience in the Christian life. The same reality is in this text. David petitions God as a humble expression of vulnerability. He pours out his lament to God as a broken expression of pain, and he lifts up praise to God as a continual expression of submitting, gratefulness, affection, and trust. They're all there. And this is the reality of the Christian experience. We find ourselves in vulnerable places. We find ourselves in painful places. And we learn to submit to God. Submitting to him when we suffer. Living with a constant sense of gratefulness. Developing a rich affection for him. And trusting him explicitly in all circumstances. Here's my question. Do you understand that? Have you experienced that? That's the way the Christian life is. It is both battling and praising. It's rejoicing and grieving. It's experiencing the the beauty of victory and the agonies of defeat. We feel these things at the same time. And so David is expressing in this psalm his, his burden of soul, his vulnerability, and praise to God. It might be there's somebody here this morning that that's exactly where you need to be. And so I close with the final question. How do you apply such a text? Let me give you some thoughts. The first is this. Don't be surprised by hardship. That is part of living in a fallen world. I wish I could tell you that it doesn't happen, but it does. 
Don't be surprised. It's a part of life. Two, don't think that God is obligated to give you a life of ease and insulate you from every single consequence. Now, there's another side to this. Don't think that God hates you and he wants to make your life miserable. But he's under no obligation to preserve us from all difficulties because we're Christians. Don't think that he's callous towards you when you get painful and vulnerable seasons. God's love for us is constant. It's not based on how we're feeling. It's not based on how good we're doing on a certain day. His love is consistent. It's patient. It's not based on something in us. It's based on his goodness. But we don't always feel like that's the case. Remember, he tenderly loves you. He takes no joy in your your misery. God's not happy when Christians suffer. He takes no joy in that difficult season. Remember, he has reasons for the nature, the duration, and the intensity of the struggles he has permitted in your life. We serve a God who is really in charge. Okay? He really is in charge. That means that when we experience hardship, he's permitted it. He's allowed it. He's allowed how long it takes. He's allowed how intense it is. He's allowed those things. He's not done it because he's calloused. He's done it because there's something he needs to accomplish in us through it. Remember, he's always good. And his purposes that he is accomplishing in you and through you are a direct result of those struggles. Cry out to him when you feel overwhelmed. Pour out your cares and your misery before him when you're struggling. He wants you to do it. Not because he delights in pain, but he wants you to know he's there to hear what's going on internally. Remind yourself he cares and hears and will move on your behalf at the right time and in the right way. And remember, Christ was willing to suffer more than anything you and I have ever experienced in life that is negative. He was willing to go beyond it to redeem your soul. Don't forget that. Spare hearts and prepare our hearts to take of the Lord's table together. Father, as we think about this text, we think about petitions and laments. We think about the need to rejoice. I pray that in this moment that we would remember the weight of the cross on the shoulders of our Savior. I pray that we would remember that Jesus, with a heart of compassion and love for each one of us, chose to come to earth, take on flesh and dwelt amongst people. He was willing to be beaten and mocked and spit upon, bruised and lied about, mistreated in the most unspeakable ways imaginable. He permitted it all because he wanted to redeem our souls. And through his sacrifice on the cross, we are redeemed to you. May we not get over such rich truth. As we eat this bread, may we remember the body broken. As we drink this juice, may we remember his blood was shed so that we could be redeemed. I pray that this time of remembrance would be very sweet, would grip our souls in a very rich and meaningful way. And I pray that we will walk out of these doors having been uplifted in spirit as we consider 
the greatness of this sacrifice. We ask all this in Christ's name, amen.